You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Before I get into this even more, I want to say thank you to all of you who took the time this week to send me and Allison text messages as we traveled um, to mourn, to celebrate, to remember our dear friend and sister, more than just a friend to us uh, of over 15 years. Uh, we traveled 38 hours this week on the road, got in at 12.30 last night. I'm on two cups of coffee and it's not working, and they're starting to wear off. Um, so no falling asleep on me today because I'm going to really be jealous of you, at least in this moment. I don't mind you doing it on other Sundays, it's not today. As you've been tempting a brother like to just stop and take a nap, and I can't do that. Um, but thank you for praying for us. Uh, over 700 people filled the room celebrating Angie's life, a life well lived. Um, yeah, so thank you, thank you for that. All right, so I should have said this in first gathering, and I didn't, so I'll say it now. Um, what I do today is going to carry on into next week, uh, so... I want you to please consider maybe today like a part one, and if you miss next week, come back and get it, uh, if you will. I want to start off with this idea, okay? God arranged moments can lead to God-inspired movements. I don't want you to think about that. God arranged moments, meaning providentially designed, divine appointments, a convergence of relationships that come together for such a time as this. Maybe you offer a word to a person who needs a word or you are being the kind of presence a person needs in a given moment. Or maybe you find yourself at a position of power and privilege and you're able to speak. God-arranged moments can lead to God-inspired movements, not only in the light in my life or in the life of somebody else. Like, like God, <laughs> excuse me, God wants to move in your life. Say, God wants to move in my life. God wants to move in our lives. God isn't static. God isn't just sitting around wondering what to do. God didn't create us just to live sideways lives where we never really move forward or we always move to the side, to the right, or to the left. Matter of fact, the Scripture says just the opposite. Don't move to the right or left. Keep moving ahead. God wants to move. Remember, all of you are here because God moved in some way in your life. Somewhere there was a God-arranged moment that led to a God-inspired movement that led you to right where you are. But not only that, God-arranged moments can lead to God-inspired movements beyond just your own personal life because God's not just about you and me. God's about we. God's about seeing His church go out and be a witness to a community to show the community what love looks like what welcome and hospitality looks like, what compassion looks like, what justice and mercy looks like. That is a part of the mission of the church because the church is a people formed by Jesus. We are an inspired movement of God because we are the Holy Spirit people of God. So I can't help but wonder... How can you tell? How can you tell when it is a God-arranged moment that could lead to a God-inspired movement? Well, here's what I want to say. You can tell, I think, 
what is a God-arranged moment and a God-inspired movement by whether or not it aligns with the truth of God as revealed in the person of Jesus and if it promotes truth-telling love, truth-revealing love. In other words, if it's a God-arranged moment, then it's going to align with the truth of God and Jesus. If it doesn't, you need to question the moment. If it's a God-inspired movement, it's going to align with the truth of God as revealed in the person of Jesus. Are you hearing my language? How I'm not just saying truth of God and just putting a period at the end of the sentence. I'm saying the truth of God as revealed in the person of Jesus. Are you catching that? That's important. Because God means a lot of things. Jesus is very specific. If it doesn't align with the truth as revealed in the the person of Jesus, and if it doesn't promote a truth-revealing love for all people, say all people, then it may not be of God. If you and I want to see, if you and I want to see a move of God, our lives must be aligned with the truth of God and promote a truth-revealing love for all. Are you with me? All right, now, I'm going to have to get some nonverbals. I know we're a little smaller today, but me and Robin can't just carry this together. Like, self-esteem problems already, like already half asleep. Y'all got to help me out a little bit this morning. Thank you, thank you, bro. Thank you, thank you. Let your, let your inner charismatic free. This, like, be liberated, y'all. Let go of the seatbelt. There we go. True moves of God may be hard to see today, though. That's, that's part of the struggle for us, I think. I think true moves of God are hard to see. I, don't, I'm not, I know they happen. I think they're hard to see because we're living in a society that is a post-truth society. That's, that's a thing now, a post-truth culture. Facts don't matter, at least mine don't, unless you've got better ones, right? And if mine and your facts disagree, it, somebody's not, like, both can't be right, especially if they're contradictory, but you can't convince me or you of that. Like, there's this little thing in neuroscience called the backfire effect. You ever heard about this? It's a, it's a way our brain's wired that, that when we are so dug into a belief, we can read something that is historically, objectively true, whatever that may mean, that's historically true or accurate, like just like literal truth, like her name is, like this is Stephanie Childress. Like, that's you, right? Like, this is Stephanie Childress. She's not Glenna, she's Stephanie Childress. But if I want to believe that Stephanie Childress is Lilia, and I'm just convinced that that's who it is, you can show me her birth certificate and her driver's license, and backfire effect says... Oh, sorry, John. The camera. Sorry, y'all. Backfire effect says that I'm going to believe that Stephanie's Lilia even more concertedly than I did before. So when you and I surround ourselves with our multimedia and our news stations and all of our things and we read the things that only we agree with, we are unwiring our brain for truth. We live in this post-truth society where we even say, what can be true? What can be good? What can be beautiful? Like, what does it mean to love? Is love just sentimentality then? Does love and truth have anything to do with the other? Andre Sarkov, I'm, I'm, I apologize if I, I'm sure I didn't get his name correct, was a Soviet physicist who became, in the words of the Nobel Peace Committee, a spokesperson for the conscience of mankind. 
He was fascinated by fundamental physics and cosmology, but he spent his first two decades designing nuclear weapons. He came to be regarded as the father of the Soviet hydrogen bomb, contributing perhaps more than anyone else to the military might of the USSR. And as he came to the end of his life, listen to what he discovered, I quote, I've always thought that the most powerful weapon in the world was the bomb, and that's why I gave it to my people. But I've come to the conclusion that the most powerful weapon in the world is not the bomb, but it's the truth. See, since the beginning of civilization, people have been asking, what is truth? Pilate asked Jesus, I think, with a little bit of a saltiness in his voice, what is truth? Galileo said all truths are easy to understand once they are discovered. The point is to discover them. Even Buddha said three things cannot be long hidden, the sun, the moon, and the truth. Even Mark Twain said truth is stranger than fiction because our truth is stranger than fiction, but it is because fiction is obliged to stick to possibilities. Truth is not. Abraham Lincoln said, I am a firm believer in the people. If given the truth, they can be dependent upon to meet any national crisis. The great point is to bring them the real facts. Mahatma Gandhi said, an error does not become truth by reason of multiplied propagation. Mm. Y'all hear that? In other words, Gandhi's saying the majority can believe the truth all they want, doesn't make it true. The majority can have a point of view and say it's true, but it doesn't have to be true. They mean it's true. You remember the little story in the Bible where the people of God were 11 days between where they were at Kadesh Benaria and the, and, the, and the promised land? And they sent out the spies, you know, the 12 guys sent out spies, came back, said they were all, like, like all the Canaanites were from Texas, they were bigger than everybody else. And, and like, I lived in Texas. Now you got, right, James? Everything's bigger in Texas. Um, and then they were bigger, you know, bigger everybody else, and that we couldn't take them over. And, and like the minority, like the minority, like four people minority, was like God's made a promise, we can take them. And remember, the whole majority said we can't take them. You know what ended up happening, right? An 11-day journey turned into a 40-year wondering. Now, here's the problem with that statement. We, 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 we agree with me that the majority doesn't have the truth just because they say it so long as we don't like the majority and what the majority is saying. And what I'm saying is Christians shouldn't be concerned about majority anything. We get wrapped up into that. I'm with Dr. King. During his Nobel Peace Prize acceptance address, I'm with, I'm with Mahatma Gandhi on that statement. I'm with Dr. King on this one. I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word in reality. This is why right temporarily defeated is stronger than evil triumphant. Concerning the notion of truth, what has been said in Scripture about the Lord Jesus? That's the question we have to ask. So for those of you who are new, this is not going to... For those of you who have been here a long time, this is going to sound like a rehash of things we've said for 10 years. And I think it's worth just remembering again. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, and verse 14, if you have your Bibles. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word. Everybody say the Word. And the Word was with God. Everybody say with God. And the Word was God. Everybody say, was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, that is the Word. And apart from Him, that is the Word. Not one thing was created that has been created. Life was in Him, talking about the Word. And the life was the light 
of men. Now John, do tell, who is the Word? Verse 14, the Word became flesh and took up residence among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Are you with me? So in the Bible, the word, word, is logos. Everybody say logos. Translates logic. Now John's making a play on Genesis 1 creation story, but John's also making a play on Greco-Roman philosophy. And that, that gets a little, I just want you to see where it gets a little, little, little detailed. Here's what he's saying. When John says that in the beginning was the word, that the word became flesh, John is saying Jesus is God's divine logic with skin on it. In other words, God, Jesus is what God has to say to humanity. You want to know what God has to say? Then look at the word that became flesh. When we talk about word, we often talk about the Bible, but I want you to know something. The Bible never refers to itself as the word. The Bible refers to itself as scriptures. Sometimes in the scriptures it says that the word of God spoke, talking about a promise or a prophecy. The Bible doesn't speak about itself as the word. So when we say, oh, I read the word of God, we need to, we need to think about what we're saying. When the Bible talks about the word of God, the Bible is talking about Jesus. Because Jesus is God's divine logic. Jesus is what God has to say to me and you. If you want to know what God has to say about something, look at, ready, Sunday school answer? And where do you read about Jesus? In the Scripture, the whole Scriptures. Right, we'll talk about that in a minute. But specifically, where do you see Jesus revealed in the Scriptures as the Word that became flesh? Say it with me, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So you've got to start with Jesus, do the work, end with Jesus, live your life. Right? Like if you want to know the truth, start with Jesus, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then do the work, read all the commentary about Jesus, all the other letters, Old Testament, New Testament, all that, then, 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 then do the work of, of like fleshing it out, following Jesus, and then go back to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and make sure that you're following Jesus and then live your life. John proclaims that Jesus is God's divine logic made flesh. Jesus is what God has to say to humanity. And not only does John proclaim Jesus to be God incarnate, full of grace and truth. By the way, another nerdy thing here. The Greek word for full in John literally translates full. Like full of grace and truth. Full of grace. Mm truth. Jesus said in John 14, John reports in John 14 verse 6, Jesus says I am the way, what? The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. LeBron James is not the truth. Paul Pierce is not the truth. Jesus is the truth. Now, another nerdy point. In the Bible, the Greek word for truth is aletheia. It literally translates uncovered or revealed. So when you see the word truth in your Bibles, it means revealed. Jesus is God uncovered. The mystery has been revealed to us in Jesus. Paul talks about this all the time. Well, not all the time. Colossians and Ephesians. Jesus is truth revealed. Jesus is what God has to say. See, the biblical understandings of truth are sometimes pulled apart in these philosophical and theological attempts to try and offer 
a precise definition of truth. We say, what is truth? And so we try to give a different definition and we try to unpack it. And that's fine. That's a, that's a fine thing to do. Um, we would say that truth is that which is in accordance to reality. Like when I was teaching philosophy and ethics at Regent, that was one of the definitions we work off of because it's an ancient definition of, of truth in, 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 philosophy, in philosophy, that it's that, that it's that which is in accordance to reality. But the problem with us today, I feel like, is we get confused as to what truth is because we confuse truth with our image, our realities of success and self-preservation. Socially, we get confused with truth because we think about things like American exceptionalism. And we start thinking that truth is bound up in these kind of realities. And we end up cynical or dismissive in our attitudes toward truth because not everybody has a truth. And you say, I've got my truth and you've got your truth. And now nobody has truth at all because now we're arguing over something that we're saying is truth and we don't even know what's true. And you know what? We Christians, we get wrote right back into this thing too. We post, we, we water cooler stuff, we only read books that affirm what we, what we believe and we only listen to stuff that we affirm that affirm what we believe because I don't, you know, and then we ask the pastor not to speak about anything about justice in the church, right? Like, like, I, like I know some of you, like we do that, right? Like we, we say, you know, things too political, um, as if the truth of Jesus has no ab, like no concrete expression in society whatsoever. Why, why are we doing that? We don't ask the question, why is that even a thing? Like why, if we were truly committed to the truth that is the person of Jesus Christ, and we were committed to following the person that is Jesus Christ, who is the truth God revealed to us, then why would we even be concerned about that? Why wouldn't we want to know the truth? Why, would we not to, why wouldn't we want to gather together and have these conversations? Like, if we can't talk about what is true as the people of God, then tell me where we can talk about it. Tell me where. I don't know where. Because what I know about Bob is that if Bob and I disagree, guess where Bob and I are going to go? And guess what Bob and I are going to have to do? We have to work it out. The person of Jesus who is the truth. That's how this is supposed to work. We have to have courage. Because we have to have a conviction to the person who is the truth. And we have to stop being so easily offendable. And so cowardice and timid with what is love. Because you can't have truth without love, and you can't have love without truth. And so if you don't have truth, you'll never have love. Because God is love. And he loved us so much that he put skin on and showed us what the truth of love looks like. So when we start thinking love is sentimentality, we look at Jesus. And we see that love does what is hard, not what is easy. When we think that love is about making sure that I don't have to love my enemies, we look at Jesus who would rather die for his enemies than kill them. And now we have to do something with our penchant toward violence. When we think Jesus would have nothing to say to society at all, we have to look at the issues that Jesus spoke to directly. And then we have to ask ourselves, if Jesus spoke to it, then shouldn't we? Because if Jesus is the truth embodied, should we not also embody the truth that Jesus is? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That's not a I get to go to heaven when I die promise. That's a I get to live as if heaven is real promise. And it's a life-changing thing. If we want to know more about what it means to live and love, we must begin and end with what we hear and see in the person of Jesus. So listen to me, beloved. 
before truth is a fact or an idea or a position, truth is, in the Christian tradition, a person. And for the Christ follower, then, truth, being foremost a person, has to involve claims made that are consistent with the compassionate purposes of God, as revealed in Jesus. So here's what I say. So claims made, say claims made, that are consistent, say that are consistent, with the compassionate purposes of God revealed in the person of Jesus. So in other words, if what I'm saying is true, can't be validated and affirmed in what I literally see Jesus doing in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then I need to question what I'm saying is true. And if I think this is a God-arranged moment that could lead to a God-inspired movement and it doesn't align with truth, if I can't see it playing itself out in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then I need to question whether or not this is true. So I go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to see Jesus, and then I read the commentary of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which is the rest of the Bible. And I do that work, and then I come back to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to make sure I'm understanding things, and then I live my life. And we can't do that if we don't see Jesus as the truth. And we can't do that if we think somehow truth is an abstract belief. Before truth is a belief, it's a person. And that's important for the Christian. It's important because Jesus would even have us understand this, that, that if we want to know what it means to live out God's commandments, then we have to see what God's commandments look like lived out, which Jesus performed. Because Jesus knows this about himself. Jesus knows that he is God incarnate. Jesus knows that he is the truth. Jesus knows. And he knows that every verse written in our Bibles is about him. Matter of fact, Jesus even said so. See, Jesus is in a conversation with people in political and religious power. Because who did Jesus always speak the harshest to? People with power and privilege. People who claim to know the truth. Which is us. Jesus wagged his finger at the people who were wagging their finger at others. And Jesus says to them in John chapter 5, Verse 38, you don't have his word living in you because you don't believe the one he sent. Now, notice Jesus didn't say you don't believe in me. Jesus says you don't believe me. There's a difference between believing in Jesus and believing Jesus. You good, Bryn? We were talking, Bryn and I were looping on that. She was like, I lost you at everything you said after that because I was just thinking, what does that mean? Jesus says, because you don't believe the one who sent. He said, listen to this, verse 39. You pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, but the scriptures point to me. Every word in the Hebrew scriptures and the Christian scriptures are commentary that either point to or point back at Jesus. Because what did Paul say? Jesus is the image of the invisible God. All the fullness of the deity dwelt in Jesus in bodily form. Colossians 1 15, Colossians 2, 9. Jesus is the word, the divine logic of God that became flesh. Jesus is what God has to say to humanity. We have to start with Jesus, do the work, and then come back to Jesus and live our lives following Jesus. 
This is why all claims made in the Christian faith then must be consistent with the compassionate purposes of God as revealed in Jesus. This is what I believe we have to do. If, if what I believe from Scripture cannot be validated or affirmed in what I see in the person of Jesus, then I need to question my interpretation. So here's where I get, here's, here's, here's where I want to get really practical. Um, but I've got to leave you, to you to do the work. I mean, I think what I'm talking about is practical because I'm pointing you to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Make your decisions. Make sure it's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read the, and then go, go live life like Jesus, right? The Sunday school answer is true. Here's what I'm saying. This, this goes for how I treat my neighbor and even my enemy. If I want to treat my enemy in a way that I can't see validated and affirmed in Jesus, then I'm not following, I'm not treating my enemy with the truth of God. You with me? If I like loving my neighbor, if I'm not loving my neighbor in light of what I see in the person of Jesus, then I'm not loving my neighbor in truth. If I'm not treating others as I would want to be treated, therefore work for them to get the treatment that I would want, come on now, then I'm not doing truth. I might win a Bible Bowl or Bible Jeopardy, but I want in flesh. My commitments to Scripture. How I deal with my finances. If how I deal with my finances can't be seen in the teaching and life of Jesus, then I may not be dealing with my finances with truth. For example, Jesus said, Give to all liberally without expectation of return. Lend with no expectation of return and give to everyone who asks of you. Jesus literally said that. If I'm not doing that, I need to align my life with truth. Jesus also talked about greed. And Remember that story about the, about the homie who like built a storehouse for stuff? And he ran out, and so then he built another storehouse for the stuff that didn't fit in the first storehouse, and the homie didn't wake up the next morning? That. Like generosity. Notice that Jesus didn't give to the poor and made sure they earn it. Are you riding the system? You better pass a drug test first. That's right. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't send people to an application intake process with Peter, James, and John before he gave the power of God to people. Now, I want to heal you, but you've been riding the system the last few times. So I want you to go visit with Peter and James. They're going to do an intake process, and if you qualify, you will get 50% of the power of God with a down payment of 10%. That's not how the Lord works. That's not the truth for Christians. Now, here's the thing. I can't expect society... I'm sorry, I'm all over the place, John. Sorry, y'all. I can't expect society that never confessed Jesus as Lord, like society collective, like America. One nation under God and one nation under Jesus, two different things, contrary to what we'd like to, like to think. I can't expect a collective society that never confessed Jesus is Lord, the way, the truth, and the life, to then follow Jesus because he never confessed to follow Jesus. But I can hold me and you as the church who did confess ourselves to follow Jesus to follow Jesus. Paul even said that, 1 Corinthians, read it. Don't judge the outsiders, judge the church. Let's not be surprised that the world is so dark.
How about how I engage in disagreements? I can see how Jesus engaged in disagreements. Who did Jesus come at the hardest? The people who said they had the truth. Who did Jesus come at the hardest? The center of religious and political power. The center of economic power. The people who kept treasury over the temple. I know that may not be convenient and popular for us, but that's what Jesus did. Remember when he turned over tables? You remember how John wants us to make sure that we understand that he did it by the temple treasury? Jesus has something to say about economics. He has something to say about power. And those are the people that Jesus came at the hardest. Jesus didn't come at the woman called in adultery the hardest. He didn't come at the lepers the hardest. He didn't even come at the tax collectors the hardest. I mean, come on, Jesus. Everybody wants to be the prodigal son. Nobody wants to admit we're really the brother who whines about the prodigal son getting all the goods. Everybody wants to be the nine lepers that, that, or the one leper that did come back, not the nine that never did. I do. I want to be the one sheep that Jesus leaves all y'all to go find. I don't want to be the 99 having to wonder about, you know. Right. <laughs> People ask that anyway, Glenda. Like, where, 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 where is Fred? Like, where? How I deal with my friendships, that's found in Jesus. He had his cliques. He had his 12 and he had his three. He had his friendships, but he wasn't exclusive. How about how I deal with my marriage? If I'm in a relationship, if I'm in a, if I'm in a marital relationship or I'm aiming toward a marital relationship, I want to say this really quickly. Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. He didn't qualify with whether or not you get to marry him. My wife is my neighbor. So for those of us, and I want to talk specifically to my brothers, who need these metaphors and images of like captain, or like hero, or like provider, or any of these. We need, we need, for those of us who need metaphors for our marriage, we need to step back and get back to letting Jesus be the metaphor for our marriage. Allison's my neighbor. Loving her like I love myself out of a reflection of the love of God it can be a life-giving marriage if I'm faithful for that pursuit. Or if I just simply decide to live out the 51 and other commands with my wife. For those of us who are married, your spouse, as grows as if you're watching this online and in the Christian tradition, we're considered family with one another through our baptismal identities. Allison is my sister in Christ before she's my wife. I need to keep that in check. How about how I love my country? Can we find that in Jesus? Yeah. Love of country and truth go hand in hand. And guess what? Dissent is not disloyalty. Jesus dissented to his national leaders many a day. And he did it out of love for everybody, including the national leaders. But he recognized that people with power hold great responsibility to use that power for the good of others. Too much has been given. Finish it with me. Much is expected how I gauge in matters of right and wrong just and unjust 
if Jesus addressed it, so should we. It doesn't matter whether it falls on the right or the left of some party political spectrum. I want to say something really clear. You don't have to agree. But when I hear an issue of justice, racism, gender equality, immigration, sexual trafficking, abortion, when I hear an issue of justice, if my immediate response is to my political party affiliation, I need to realign my life with the truth of Jesus. That's what's killing us. God's people can no longer talk about our faith in abstracts. All we can say and all we can do must be concrete. And the thing is, the beautiful gift of life for us, y'all, the gift of life for us is that we have the Holy Spirit, so we have the power of God, we have each other, and we know who we're following. We look at Jesus. My sermon should be redundant. Because you only get me 30 minutes, maybe 35, during the pandemic, 20, I guess that's over. Minutes. <laughs> guess those days are over. I was real excited about that. I'm like, man, I'm preaching. I was calling my friends like, yeah, I've been preaching like 20-minute sermons. Now I'm back at 35. And like I had one guy on Theology Thursday said, well, I guess the good 20-minute sermons are over there, Fred. Like we, we, we follow Jesus. We, we aren't left to figure it out. If the Lord Jesus, who is the truth, teaches that loving God and loving our neighbor as we love ourselves sums up the whole of Jewish and Christian scriptures, then we have to figure out only what love looks like. And the best way to see what love looks like is to look at Jesus, who is truth revealed, God revealed, love revealed, our King. So when people say our nation is getting away from God's word, you may want to ask, do you mean getting away from the words of God given to us in the Bible or getting away from the word of God who became flesh and about whom every word in the Bible speaks? Because those, those, those differences matter. Because everything we understand about the Bible is supposed to point us to Jesus. So if someone says that our nation or our society or my family is getting away from Jesus, I agree. The problem is I'm not really sure we were ever there in the first place in certain collective realities like national and all that stuff because at the end of the day, no nation confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord and King. Every time that happened, it was in pure religion and it never went well. Crusades, anybody? I mean, Christians can't fight Sharia law and want to turn around and have Christian law. I mean, it's just not, it's not, it's not considerable in, in, in kind of a logic of truth. So at the end of the day... Only the church has confessed that Jesus is Lord and King. And so we can't expect those who never confess Jesus is Lord to follow Jesus, but we can't expect those who confess Jesus is Lord to follow Jesus. You can expect me to do it, and you should love me in such a way that I am led to do it. And you have to tell me the truth. You have to tell me the truth. But whatever truth you tell me has to point to Jesus. Does that make sense? Are we good? We don't spend, if we would spend more of our time holding the church accountable to our confession and less of our time holding a nation accountable to our confession, maybe we would embody our confession in such a way that would draw a neighbor to love. We follow Jesus. He's liberated us into that. Be free.
You shall know the truth. And what? So care about your party politics, just don't care that much. Care about your bank account, but just don't care that much. Care about your marriage, beware what you read in classes you take. Care about your goals, just don't care that much. Be willing to, to find liberation in the promises of God revealed in Jesus. Know the truth who is first and foremost a person before a position. And the truth will set you free. Next week, I want to share with you what our sister Laura and I were a part of through a convergence of God-arranged moments where we were able to be a part of constructing this commitment to a Truth and Reconciliation Committee for the, for the city of Williamsburg to bring about racial healing. Instead of digging our heads in the sand and hoping that the ticking time bomb doesn't explode and trying to blame someone else for every problem that we have in our society, let's, as a people who are supposed to be committed to truth, be committed to truth and be unafraid to tell the truth. Like how in 1928, over 700 African-American families were displaced from Colonial Williamsburg when we wanted to make Colonial Williamsburg a thing. And how I met a daughter and a granddaughter and a great-granddaughter of those same families who are still unwinding the implications of losing the property and the home and everything they had because they weren't a protected class because the meeting that was held to make a decision for the town was held in an all-white school where our African-American brothers and sisters weren't allowed to go to have a voice and a vote for a decision that would impact generations to come. Like that kind of truth. And we should be unafraid to tell the truth because we follow the truth. So let's be unafraid. And let's be humble because truth cannot happen without love and love cannot be real without truth. Because truth has consequences. Raise your hand if you are still unwinding experiences from your past or maybe even from your past families. Raise your hand if you're experiencing good things from your past and your past families. Yeah. Because truth does not concern itself with time. Right. Truth goes on. The truth of the good or the truth of the bad. Beloved, if you want to see a move of God in your life, then make sure your life is aligned with the truth of God. God-arranged movement moments can lead to God-inspired movements, and if they are God-arranged and God-inspired, they will always align with the truth of God. And every week we come together, we realign our lives with the truth of God. Can I see a smile and get an amen? amen? Now, I'm not saying be happy about what we like literally have to take here, but what it means to us. Start opening it now. It's going to take us two minutes. If you're at home online joining us there, we envy you for whatever simplicity you are experiencing. We're going to get back to the bread and the cup like we talked about in a couple of weeks. Every week we realign our lives with the truth. 
the body that is the blood, the body that is the bread, the blood that is the cup, the reality that Robin and I remember who we are at this table and not just as individuals but as brother and sister. That Bob can be angry, with, I want to be clear, Bob's not angry with me, but that Bob can be as angry with me as he wants to be. He could be. He, he, but when we come to this table, we remember that we are children of the King and we submit to one another as we submit to Jesus. That Bob and Laura and Jamie are not my enemies. That they're my kin because we're children of God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this bread that is the body, this cup that is the blood. We thank you that you have made us one in Christ. Help us to learn how to live that way. We thank you for the truth of this experience at the table that no matter what we've done and where we've been, we can come to you with open hands and you receive us with open arms. And that no matter what we think, we do not get to choose who sits at the table next to us. And we wouldn't want to because we wouldn't want somebody excluding us. And so God... As we receive this, may our hearts be humble to the reality of your love and your truth that is perfectly, perfectly, infallibly, perfectly, inerrantly, perfectly revealed in Jesus Christ the King. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit we pray and all God's people said, Amen. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.